Um, my name's Alan. Um, our pastor Ian is away this week, so um, it fell to me to bring the message today, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I was particularly listening out for the promises that Tim and Ruth gave, um, because the last time I was involved in a service with Tim and Ruth, I was sat in that little room there, and many of you don't know that because we're a Baptist church, um, we don't have the authority to marry people in the same way that an Anglican church does. So you have somebody there who's authorised and they have to listen out for the promises because there are certain things in a wedding service that have to be said, otherwise the two people aren't married. I'm sitting out there, the service is progressing, we're coming towards the end and they've missed out the promises, they've missed out the bits they've got to say. So I'm sitting, this is the first time I've ever done it as well, so I'm sitting out there thinking, what do, I, do I jump out on the stage now and sort of start to wave my arms? And So, so I'm sitting in there and praying, and suddenly the, uh, the guy who was taking the service said, oh, there's a couple of things we've got to do. And my heart rate dropped from about 200 back to about 60 or 70, and he said the promises, and they did get married, and they are married. So I was listening out for that, <laughs> just in case. So I know what promises you've made this time on there. Okay, I love dedication services. I think they're brilliant, aren't they? Because it's about the future. It's about hope. It's about what summer is going to be as she grows up under God. It's what doors will open for her. It's all those things, which is brilliant. And what I wanted to do today, I, I, I found out towards the end of last year that I was going to be speaking today. And I wanted to try and focus on something that was similar, something that spoke about potential, change, future, because... None of us here is young as summer, I don't think. Maybe Ethan is as young as summer. He's the only one who's still in, who still is. Um, But it doesn't mean we haven't got potential to change. It doesn't mean that under God we can't do things differently. We can't be different. We can't act differently. So really that's what I wanted us to look at um, today. Okay, just go, yeah, it is. Okay, so a little bit about what you're thinking. Um, Now... There are various different experts out there and they all tell you different things, don't they, all the time. Um, But the experts say that there's a range of between 10,000 and 70,000 thoughts that we have each and every day. Now, I found that really amazing, actually, if that is true. Um, But even if you take that lower end, so let's just stick with the 10,000, let's not be silly about it, it probably means you've had a 1,000 thoughts already today. Now, that probably includes what I'm going to have for breakfast and what socks am I going to put on and am I going to be late and all that sort of stuff. By the time I've finished talking, you've probably had another 200 thoughts. Mostly it'll be, when's he going to shut up and <laughs> when can we get on with lunch? That sort of thing, okay? But we're going to have that while we're there. By the time you're 75, you'd have had 26 million different thoughts. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Now, Summer's brain will continue to grow until she's 18, and her thought life will grow alongside that. And it's really important, isn't it? Quite often, people say, actually, it doesn't really matter what I think about. It doesn't really matter at all what goes through my mind. But I'd beg to differ. If we've got 10,000 thoughts a day going through our mind, surely those things start uh, start to shape who we are. Okay, if you're looking for a quote, um, Oscar Wilde's always a good place to go for a quote, isn't he? But this time, I've not gone for Oscar Wilde, I've gone for Mark Twain. If Oscar Wilde lets you down, Mark Twain always says something that's useful, isn't it? He said this, he said, What a small part of a person's life are his acts and his words. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that part. But then he goes on to say this, His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding and his thoughts 
Not those other things are his history. His real life is in his head. That's what Mark Twain thought. But Mark Twain wasn't the first one to think about that. If we go back to the Bible, Solomon, in Proverbs 23, says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The Bible often uses heart as an analogy for mind. It's the central part of how we live and exist and where our things come from. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And then he went on to say, because of that, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Each of those 10,000 thoughts that we're going to have today are part of our heart. They form who we are. It's from there that we define the person that I am and, more importantly, the person that I'm going to become, the person that I'm moving on to be. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, 45, we read this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I think we can probably extend that from not only speaks, but we actually act as well. It's the old um, computer adage, for those of you who were computer people, garbage in, garbage out. If you put rubbish in to a computer, you're going to get rubbish out. The computer is not going to change what goes in there. And it's the same with us. If we feed ourselves with rubbish, it's rubbish that actually comes out um, from the beginning of us. Okay, so we are being bombarded all the time, aren't we, with the images and words. Um, images come from newspapers and magazines, from Facebook and other forms of social media, TV, films, the internet. And similarly, words like we, we can add radio and books to that list. And every image and every thought that goes through our mind stimulates our thought process. Um, for those of you who are probably under the age of about 35, that thing in the middle at the top is a television. Um, that's what they used to look like in the good old days when you rented them. And for those people who are over the age of 35, the thing next to the television, I think, is Instagram. Am I right? Oh, I am right. Jolly good. So I wasn't sure about that one. It's Instagram. But we're out there. We're going to get bombarded with all that stuff. And the Bible passage that I want to use today actually talks about what are those things we should be thinking about. What is it that we should think about that shapes us, that makes us the people we are, and looks forward to where we're going to be? So the passage is from Philippians chapter 4. It's on page 1181 if you've got a church Bible. And it is verses 8 and 9. I'll just give you a couple of minutes if you want to uh, get to that. It's the, it's the culmination of a letter that was written to the church at Philippi. Um, there are a number of letters in the New Testament that, that have been written to churches to help to encourage them, to show them ways to live and whatever else. And this is the one that comes to the end of, um, at the end of Philippians. It says, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, and, and just as a word of insight, when you read finally in the Bible or when a speaker says finally, it doesn't mean they're coming to the end. It's just a, something they sort of say to make you think they're coming to the end and they're not really. Um, but this one says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about such things. And that's what I really want to look at today. It's thinking about those things, because it's those things that shape us. 
Now, I realise that there is a whole lot of rubbish going on in the world, isn't there? There is uncertainty, there's cruelty, there is war, there is famine. And it's easy for us to get weighed down and almost get drowned, if you like, in what is going on out there. Now, I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should just turn a blind eye and that we should forget all the bad stuff that's going on, because I think that would be both ridiculous and irresponsible of us to do that. But what I am suggesting is that it shouldn't be that bad stuff. It shouldn't be the fear and the anxiety that goes along with it that shapes us as a people. It's often said, if you make decisions out of fear and anxiety, they're often the wrong decisions. They're often not sensible ones. They're not the right ones. So rather than let our thoughts maybe be fuelled by those fears and those anxieties, leading us to be a people of despair and despondency, I suggest that as we look at those admirable qualities, if you like, that come through that passage that we've just read, if we can focus on those, then we become a people of hope, a people of inspiration, a people of joy, a people of love. And I think then we make better choices. We can build better relationships. We can better serve our streets and our towns and make the places where we work so much better than they were before. We can have a really positive impact. I mean, another letter written to the Romans... The Christians are urged no longer to conform to the pattern of this world, that pattern that so often emphasises the bad and despair, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it's that transformation that changes me as an individual, changes us as a community, and then can go on and change the places where we live and the towns where we live. There are eight aspects given in that passage, and we're just going to look at one or two of them just briefly um, as we go forward. Um, The first one is truth. Now, Truth has come in for a bit of a tough time recently. Um, postmodern thinking does away with the concept of absolute truth and says everything's relative. So what might be true for Tim is not necessarily true for me, that sort of thing. We've also now come across this new phrase that's come, ac- come out from the United States of alternative facts or fake news. Now, what's the point of an alternative fact? Well, an alternative fact, the point of it is it serves to reinforce the view that I've already got regardless of whether it's true or not. So if I think something and somebody gives me an alternative fact to reinforce it, I agree with it because I think that's brilliant. So my opinion is supported and strengthened by that fact. So why do I bother with the true facts? Why do I actually bother trying to find out what is really true? Because that might make challenge me. It might change the way I want to speak or think or act. Now, Jesus referred to himself as the way and the truth and the life. The Bible is referred to as the word of truth. God's word handed down to man. So if the Bible offers those words of truth and insight, then we would do well to read it regularly with an open mind, to be able to absorb what it is that God is saying to us, to be challenged and to change. But also in other areas of life, perhaps we need to sort out what it is, get the truth from the lies, if you like. What do we see or hear that's reliable? Does it come from a trustworthy source? Is it being spun or otherwise distorted? And are we maybe perpetuating those alternative facts by liking them on Facebook or retweeting them or whatever we might do with them? It takes us some time, I think, and effort to root out the truth. But I think it's time well spent. Noble was another one of those characteristics. And in this context, the uh, the writer isn't thinking about somebody born into aristocracy. They're not thinking about someone in, in nobility. But they're rather thinking about someone who has fine personal qualities and high moral principles. Now, what are those um, qualities that we might look for or we might want to see in ourselves? 
Well, some of them would be things like honesty. They would be generosity. They would be courage, those sorts of things. And again, I think if you look in the papers, you might be forgiven to think they're in short supply. But again, I really want to disagree with that. I recently heard a story on the radio of an elderly gentleman who, on a very windy day, for some reason, had taken £10,000 out in cash in £50 notes from a bank. Unfortunately, when he was crossing the road outside the bank, he dropped the open envelope in which the notes were held and watched in a state of disbelief as those notes blew around the town that he lived in, um, which was near Leeds. As the shoppers and the drivers alike stopped and raced after the blowing cash, his grown-up son, who was with him, was able to report back that out of the £10,000 that had blown away, £9,950 was returned, with only one note having gone missing. Honesty is all around us. Generosity is also another one of those fine qualities and one that's encouraged in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, we're reminded that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, generosity comes in all sorts of form, isn't it? Um, At the birth of summer, Tim and Ruth would have received many meals made for them and given to them by friends, many of whom are probably sitting here today. Those friends would have gone round and they would have sat with Summer. Um, They would have given her a cuddle. They would have allowed Tim and Ruth just a few minutes to try and eat something in peace and quiet and to do that. Those things are not in and of themselves massive, but they do come from a noble origin. They come from an origin of generosity, something that is really important for us. It doesn't need to result in this great... Um, table of glamorous hospitality, if you like, this great table of glamorous food. Generosity and hospitality is about making the person feel special. It's about making somebody feel special for what you've done. A special friendship is also a noble thing. John 15, 13 reminds us that greater love has no one than to lay down his life for one's friend. Now, fortunately, that's not normally a literal action, but it is about putting the needs of your friend above those of yourself. And hopefully we've all experienced that and hopefully we've all partaken in that. If we look around, the world is actually bursting with people who are undertaking noble acts. You don't have to go far to look for something that's noble. These are the things that we said that we need to focus about. Whatever is pure was another one. Purity is the abstinence of any contaminants or pollutants. Um, before we turn on the taps at home, they've gone through a water purification process so that we can drink them knowing that we're not going to get cholera and all those other sorts of horrible things that are maybe being, um, been taken out from it. Um, also, gold is, re- is refined in the same way. Through a hot fire, what happens is the impurities of the gold are burned off and you're left with a pure gold, this idea of getting rid of what is bad. And in the human character, that applies to the absence of of any vice. It means being free from guilt or being free from evil. Um, It has nothing to do with age or standing, but it does have everything to do with character in choice. Uh, In 1 Timothy 4.12, another letter written in the Bible, it says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. So purity, to some extent, actually includes controlling what we allowed into our minds. Um, Another great person to go to for quotes is a chap called Nietzsche. He was a German philosopher, um, wasn't a Christian at all, um, certainly completely the opposite. 
Um, but he said this, he said that one must be a sea to receive a polluted stream without becoming impure. In other words, no person's mind is large enough to absorb those incoming pollutants without itself being polluted. Now, there are times when we can choose what comes into our brains, and there are times maybe that we can't. But where we do have a choice, we need to exercise that choice wisely. The Bible likens God and the way that he deals with people to a refiner's fire. Now, a refiner's fire, it doesn't consume indiscriminately like a forest fire. It doesn't burn up everything completely like an incinerator. What it does is it separates and it burns off those impurities, leaving behind a purer person. And as Christians, we can call on the name of Jesus to take away our sin. We've sung that today, haven't we? And ask him to refine us and make us pure. The picture that's said in Isaiah, um, in the Bible, of of sins and wrongs, is that they are as red as crimson and scarlet, but through Jesus they will be made as white as snow. A really vivid imagery of God as a refiner's fire. Okay, my dictionary tells me that lovely means beautiful and attractive. Um, And there are many beautiful and attractive things that are around us. Um, The earth itself is a wonderful thing. God created it and said it is good. Um, Every day in every country, city and town there is a sunrise and a sunset. Um, We're very fortunate, our our front of our house faces west and if the conditions are right, um, particularly in the the autumn and the spring it seems to be, we get an absolutely tremendous golden glow um, that resides on the front of our house. We look out on the reds and the purples and the greens of the sky, amazing things. Um, We can add to that scenery, we can add flowers, animals, the way that clouds form, the wonders of the night sky. There is so much in creation that is lovely to behold. But loveliness is not only confined to creation. We think about the arts and the music and dance and literature and architecture. All those things can be lovely. Um, A classic tennis match, a golf shot, a goal in football can be lovely. So can a colour or a smell or a fragrance. There are so many lovely things out there we can focus on. And people too are lovely. Not considering the outside of what they look like, but considering what they're like on the inside. On there are people who, a person maybe who is generous or giving nature, a person who's got that ability to come alongside someone else and to empathise and to sympathise and be with them, a person that always looks for the best in others and seeks to inspire and to encourage them. All those things are lovely. And again, what I want to argue is we don't have to go very far to see something lovely or to be involved in something lovely or to meet a person who is lovely. Those are the things we've been told about in this passage to think about. Okay, excellence was another one of those. And that's sort of about doing our best, isn't it? And doing our best in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, Excellence can sometimes be taken as a sort of an absolute bar, isn't it, that you've got to reach. Now, what I want to say today is I'm not sure that is true for this purpose. I think it's a relative measure. I think it's an idea of saying, can I be a better person tomorrow than I am today. So I don't think excellence is a bar that we reach and we stop at. I think excellence is something that we continue to grow into. It's a changing dynamic. It's about growth and maturity. It's about moving forward. It's not about getting stuck in a rut and doing that. So maybe it means that we should just actively seek ways um, to grow better as people, Um, to grow better in the jobs that we do, to grow better at the relationships that we have with people, to work harder at them. 
It may be that we need to seek out some new experiences. It may be that we need to stretch ourselves a little bit. It may be that we look for a better attitude in the things that we do. It may be that we go that extra mile to resolve a problem or a difficulty. For those people who are in leadership positions, it's about setting goals for our team. It's about giving feedback. It's about taking um, criticism. It's about encouraging and empowering other people to do things. Again, it's about lifting people up. And even more so, for those of us who are Christians, it's seen in doing our best in every situation, not for our own glory, but for the glory of our God. In Colossians 3.17, we are told that whatever we do, in word or deed, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And again, in 2 Corinthians 10.31, we're reminded that whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So those are some of the things that, that we need to think about. Those are some of the things that, as we start to think about, we'll start to absorb into our spirits. They're the sorts of things that will shape us, will make us a people that we want to be, a people of encouragement. So how do we go about doing that? Just a couple of quick practical pointers. Firstly, if we remember back to that garbage-in, garbage-out imagery, um, Where we do have a choice, then we need to think about what we're putting into our minds. What is it that we're watching on the TV? What is it that we're reading? What is it that we're seeing every day? When we have a choice about where I go, how do I make that choice? What sort of conversations do I have? How do I meet up with people? All of those things maybe that we could um, seek to do just to make ourselves just a little bit cleaner, if you like, as to what comes in and what goes out. Now, I don't think for one moment that means we should shut ourselves away. I don't think we should be shut away at home. I don't think as Christians we should shut shut ourselves away in church saying, actually, the rest of the world is a nasty place. We don't want to be involved with it. But it does actually mean that we just need to be on our guard a little bit and just decide what it is we're going to do. And secondly, I would suggest that maybe you might just want to partner with a friend. You might want to meet up with someone regularly just to talk about your own life, just to talk about how things are going. We can call them all sorts of things, can't we? We can call them mentoring, we can call them whatever we like. But essentially, it's a couple of people just meeting together to be able to discuss their lives, the way that they're seeking to go, what they're trying to do. It can be uncomfortable at times, but it can also be a real motivation. And remember, if you instigate that, it's you that wants to change. You're not being forced into anything. So if it is true that we have at least those 10,000 thoughts Um, a day. And if it's also true that those thoughts form the basis of who we are and who we will become, then if we want to be an honest and generous and loving and encouraging people, then I think we need to take the advice of that letter. We need to think about those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Remember that you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Now, that's more than just a clever little play on words of sticking a comma in one place and changing the meaning. It's actually the heart of what we're saying today. Those things that we think about are those things that we become. And it is very, very easy for us in a world that's out there to become full of despair and despondency and gloom because that's what we're thinking about. When actually what the Bible says is there is so much else that is going on in the world, so much that is good, so much that is lovely, so much that is admirable. And as we start to focus on those things, that's the sort of people that we become. And that will be my prayer for Summer. Um, As we said earlier, she's been born into a household where Ruth and Tim are really smiley, loving, encouraging people. I know that. 
Um, she's going to go out into a world that maybe is not completely the same. And part of that promise that we made today is to encourage her, to inspire her, to uplift her, to make her remember that God has done good things and that there is good all around because we can easily forget that. And the more that she remembers that and the more we remember that, um, then actually that will make us a better people. So let me just close in prayer before I hand back to, uh, to Katie. Father God, I just want to thank you that uh, when you created the world, when you created us, when you created everything around, Lord, you said it was good. Uh, And Father, I just want us to remember the good things that are around us. I want us to be shaped by those good things that are around us. Lord, we pray for Summer that she will be exposed to many good things, that she will be exposed to lovely people, that she will be exposed to relationships that are really wholesome and encouraging for her, that she will be exposed to experiences that will grow her as a person. And Lord, we really ask that that would be what would shape her. And Lord, as we pray for Summer, we pray for the rest of us too, Lord, that even though we may not have as many years ahead of us that Summer has got, Lord, that we would be shaped by those things. Lord, enable us just to look out for the good, the lovely, the admirable, the true, the pure, and to put to one side, if we can for a moment, those things that bring us down with despair and despondency. Lord, I want to thank you that you are a good God. I want to thank you that everything comes from you is indeed good. And Lord, we just pray today that we would be a people that will reflect your goodness and your love and your encouragement as we share that with others. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.